0: Well, good morning, everybody. We're going to continue our sermon series this morning, 40 Days to Eternity, and hopefully if you have been here the last couple of weeks, you brought your books back with you. If you need one, um, they're located in the worship centers in which, um, at each of the campuses, you can feel free to grab one to contain your sermon notes in there, an overview of the series, and it'll be hopefully a great resource for you as you go back and refer to this um, over, over time. And the reason we're studying through this, the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, Jesus, is more than um, uh, just looking at him in terms of his physical and bodily resurrection, obviously very, very important but he didn't come back just to prove that he was alive. He also came back to finish the work he had started with the disciples because the disciples were gonna be the one that was gonna carry the good news forth, and that's the purpose we're looking at these. We're gonna pick up where we left off last week, but before we do that, let's ask God to just calm our hearts and help us to focus on him as we turn to his word. Let's pray. Dear Father, we do thank you for your word. And As we come before you this morning, we just ask you to give us an open heart, an open mind to what you have to speak to us this morning. Father, meet us where we're at. And uh, we just pray that you impact us as as we look at your word, we look at this interaction, this restoration of Peter, and apply these truths to our life today. Father, we do thank you for loving us, and we thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so this morning, we're going to pick up really exactly where we left off last week. Jesus, if you remember, was on the the shore of the Sea of Galilee, um, interacting with um, seven of the disciples, and they were um, having a meal together, Uh, they had bread, they had a fish, Jesus fed them, and they had this intimacy sitting on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And coming out of this, we know that Peter was in a bad spot. He had jumped out of the boat, swam to shore when he realized it was Jesus. And he was looking to be restored back after his missteps that he had taken, um, really, over those three years, when you look back, particularly over the last several weeks. And that's where we're going to pick up this interaction so what I want to do this morning is I, let's start by actually reading through the entirety of the scripture that we're going to cover this morning so we see the whole story come to life and then we'll go back through it and we'll, we'll read verse by verse and and look for three truths that we're going to be able to apply to our lives today all right so we're going to pick up in John chapter 21 where we were last time and we're going to start with verse 15 John chapter 21 verse 15 here we go. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one whom also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. All right, so... I think if we're honest, we can all relate at some level to the spiritual journey that Peter's been on these last three years. Right? You go back three years and you see this is when Jesus intercepted his life. And Peter walked away from everything he knew, walked away from everything he had to follow Jesus. He was on fire for him. In fact, Peter was the first one to declare Jesus as the Christ. Peter was the one who stepped out of the boat and walked on water. And he was also the same person that took his eyes off of Jesus and started to sink in the water. He's also the same person that denied Jesus three times when he was going to be crucified. He's also the same person that led seven disciples out on the sea in disobedience instead of waiting on Jesus to come. So we find Peter in this spiritual journey, if you will, in a a low spot, is demonstrated by his willingness to, to jump into the water fully clothed and swim to shore to get back to Jesus as fast as he possibly can. See, he he seeked restoration. He wanted to be back in this intimate relationship. He knew he was wrong. He knew he had wandered. And he wanted to be back with Jesus, obeying him and following him as he was called to be. And this is what we're going to look at as we go through this, is Jesus restores Peter, despite these missteps, Despite his mistakes, that Jesus is going to restore Peter to his ministry and give him a tremendous responsibility, as, right? Because Jesus has big things for them to do. Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. And Peter and the rest of the disciples are going to be responsible for carrying on Jesus' earthly work. So let's start by looking specifically at verse 15. It said, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. All right, so several things going on here. Let's start. So first we see when they had finished. So, although this conversation is an intimate conversation directed between Jesus and Peter, okay, I believe that the other disciples are still there, right? This takes place right after they finish breakfast. And I believe that for a reason. See, Peter was very boastful about his love for the Lord, right? He's very public about it. Peter was also very public about his denials also. People heard him. And now I think here in this interaction that Jesus is also restoring him in a very public way, right? He was the leader of these disciples. And if Jesus is going to restore the leader, he can get the others to follow the leader. So I think it's a very public um, restoration that takes place here even if the disciples are maybe sitting in earshot that they heard this interchange between Jesus and between Peter okay so they finished breakfast Jesus said Simon son of John this is his old name this was his name when Jesus met him remember Jesus changed his name to Peter He's saying here, call him back and call him his old name because he's behaving like his old self. You've fallen back in the patterns of who you used to be. This would be like your mother calling you by your first, middle, and last name. right? This would have gotten Peter's attention. All right? Jesus is serious here having this conversation. And then we see for the first, um, first of three successive times, he asks him, do you love me more than these? Okay, so there's a couple things going on here. let track with me on here. So we see the love word. And in this inter- exchange between Peter and Jesus, love has gone back and forth three times. And we lose the nuance in our English translation. It kind of, you lose some of the color of really what's going on here. Okay, there, it, here he uses the uh, different word than what Peter uses. Now there are many different opinions on whether this is a meaningful use of two different words, purposeful with a meaning. Others, some say that it's just a stylistic thing the way that John wrote I believe that it's meaningful. If we think about context of what's going on, the original conversation between Peter and Jesus would have happened in Aramaic. God inspired, I'm sorry, God inspired John to write in his common language, which was Greek. So through inspiration, John recorded two different verbs. And I believe that it is meaningful, and I think we'll see that play out as we go through these verses. This first verb here, this love, is the verb form of agape. It's agap, agapao. Right? It's the verb form of agape. This is the highest form of love, a divine love, an obedient love. This is a love at the highest level. It's a love that's not affected by emotion. It's a love that, that's, kind of, that, that, that's characterized by action. Right, it, it compels us to do. It compels us to obey. So Jesus is saying, Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me at the highest level? Then here he says, more than these. Well, what's these? Well, there's three possible translations or um, pointers on these. The first one could be, do you love me more than these? Meaning the other disciples, do you love me at the highest level more than you love this band of brothers that you've been running with for three years? That's one possibility. The second possibility is, do you love me more than these men love me? That could point back to how Peter boasted about his love. Do you really love me more than these men love me? Then the third possibility is, do you love me more than these things? The 153 fish that are laying on the shore, the nets, the boats, all the fishing gear. And I believe, personally, with the, with the immediate context of what they were doing out on the sea fishing, that's what I believe he's referring to. I think he's asking Peter, Peter, do you love me at the highest level? Do you love me enough to give up these things, give up who you used to be, give up the person that you used to be, to give up the things that you used to do? In other words, Peter, are you willing to walk away from all of this, I think that's what Jesus is asking him here, when you look at that immediate context. And so then we say, he said to him, yes, Lord, you know, the Greek word here is ouda. It's a, it's a, it's a knowledge based on fact. Jesus, you're omniscient. You know everything. You know the facts that I love you. And he uses the verb phileo. Now phileo is kind of a, a notch down on a love scale, if you will. Phileo is like a brotherly love. Right? It's, it's a love that's based off emotion, that can change over time, that can change on, um, uh, be, because of circumstances in relationships. Right? It's a love that's based on feeling. It's a lower type of love. So he's saying, Peter, do you love me here? And Peter's saying, I love you here. I phileo you And I love how Jesus responds. Jesus doesn't criticize him for this lower level of love. He basically turns to him and says, feed my lambs. Care for my lambs. And what are lambs, right? These are the the young. These are the vulnerable. Peter, this is your responsibility. Remember I told you, you're going to be a fisher of men, right? You're going to be an evangelist. And people are going to come to know you through that calling. And as they do, they're going to be young believers. They're not going to know much about me. They're going to be, need to be discipled. They're going to be need to be cared for. They're going to need to be fed. You've got to take care of these young people, these young believers that are going to come into a relationship with me through the work that you're going to do. You've got to feed them. You've got to take care of them. All right, so that's what's going on here in this verse. And I love this interaction because when you think about it, he asked him, do you love me at the highest level? Peter's like, well, I really don't. I love you down here. And look how, how could Peter respond, right? God knows everything. He knows the mistakes he's made. He knows the missteps. He knows the betrayal. Peter can't say, yes, Lord, I love you at the highest level, right? He wouldn't have been the biggest hypocrite alive. So he drops it down a notch. And even when he does that, the Lord doesn't say, well, go get yourself cleaned up. You better love me at the highest level. He says, no, you feed my lambs. You are good enough the way I created you and who you are to do what I'm asking you to do. All right, look at verse 16 now. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me, Agapow. He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know, Uda, facts, that I love you. Phileo, the same exchange. Peter, do you love me at the highest level? Lord, come on, you know the facts that I love you at this level. And again, Jesus responds, Now, tend my. Sheep. These are the more mature, right? Those that are stronger in their faith. So not only are you going to tend the young and the vulnerable, Peter, you are going to be responsible for all of the flock. This is your job. This is your calling. This is what you have to do. And now look at verse 17, and this gets interesting. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Do you love me at the brotherly love level? See, he's even questioning here. Peter, based on your actions, based on your denials, Do you even love me at this level? And it says, Peter was grieved. Because he said to him, what, the third time, probably, right, is an indication of the three denials. He asked him three times because of the three denials um, that Peter made. But when you look at this also, Not only Peter was grieved, but I think Peter's grieved because he drops down to his level and questioning whether he even loves him at this level that he has already stated that he did love him at. And see, this this is Jesus here doing spiritual surgery on this guy, right? He is cutting deep. This hurts He's leaning in saying, Peter, do you really love me at the level that you claim you do? And then look how he responds. He said to him, Lord, you know. Uda again, you know the factual knowledge, but look what else he does. You know everything, omniscience, and you know That is That knowledge is based on experiential. That's an experiential knowledge. So not only, Jesus, do you know the facts that I love you, but I've walked with you for three years. I know I'm not perfect. I know I've misstepped. But I believe I've demonstrated my love for you over the last 3 years I've walked to. You've experienced it. And then Jesus said to him, "Feed my sheep. Peter, you take care of the flock. You are responsible For feeding, for tending, for protecting the people. And this is extremely important, right? Because Jesus is about to leave, He's about to ascend into heaven. These guys are gonna pick up Jesus' earthly ministry. He's caring for the flock, and we know how important the shepherd role was to Jesus because who was Jesus? He was the good shepherd. He was the shepherd that laid down his life for his flock. He loved them. He, scripture says that they knew his voice, and he knew them. So this is an extremely important role that he is preparing Peter and the disciples for, handing off this responsibility. When you think about the importance of that, He's saying, Peter, listen, I'm restoring you to ministry. You've you've got to love me. It has to start with loving me, Peter, because you can't take care of, of the sheep. You can't take care of the flock and love them unless you love me first. And that's our first application point from today is that a committed life of a believer is motivated by love for the Savior and shows up as service to his flock. See, if you find yourself in that position today, where you, you've kind of wandered off the trail, right? Maybe you've denied Jesus, maybe not with your words, but at least with your actions, and you're chasing after your own desires and own hearts, and, and, and you find yourself at this place where you can relate to Peter, This and you, need to, the, you feel like you need to be restored to him and be welcomed back into an intimate relationship the first step that you've gotta take is you have to start with love. You have to be willing to ask yourself this question, do I love Jesus more than fill in the blank? Do I love Jesus more than my job and my career? Do I love Jesus more than my, my bank account? Do I love Jesus more than my earthly reputation? So I love Jesus even more than my family, more than, more than my kids. So you can't tend. You can't care for His sheep and each other if we don't place Him above everything else in their lives. Because I'm telling you now, we follow what we love. We have to start with our love of Jesus. And we know that this love is not easy. This love is not cheap. This love is expensive. This type of love calls for significant sacrifice. We've got to sacrifice the things, sometimes the dreams that we had. We've got to sacrifice what we believe is best for our lives. We gotta sacrifice the things that we wanna make us feel secure, the things that we put our identity into. We gotta be willing to lay those things down. We gotta be willing to sacrifice those things if we were gonna love the Lord more than everything else in our lives. And this is what Jesus tells us directly himself in Luke chapter nine, verse 23. And he said to all, if anyone were to come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer really has a a sobering quote when you think about it. Listen to what he says. When Christ calls man, he bids him come and die. Right? We have to die to ourselves to follow Jesus when he calls us. And this is exactly what Jesus tells Peter in verses 18 and 19. Take a look at this. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. So truly, truly is a, a pattern that John uses throughout his gospel. And when he does this, he's really driving home the point I'm saying, this is going to happen. Take it to the bank. You can count on it. Peter, listen. There's going to be a time in your life where somebody's going to come along. Somebody's going to bind you up. They're going to take you to a place where you do not want to go. And you're going to get to the point where you're going to stretch out your hands. And that's a euphemism for being crucified. He's saying, Peter, you are going to die a martyr. And church tradition holds that Peter indeed was crucified. But he didn't feel worthy to be crucified the way that Jesus was. And he requested to be crucified hanging upside down. So take a moment and put yourself in Peter's shoes. Sitting face to face with Jesus. Looking you in the eye and say, Well, Scott, welcome back to ministry. You know, don't worry about those missteps that you've had and the mistakes that you've made in your past. I, I forgive those. Now remember, love me you got to love me above everything else, and you got to love your neighbors, right? you got to take care of the people in which I've entrusted to you. And, oh, by the way, for all your hard work, you're going to be crucified when all is done and said. How would you respond? Do you, do you buckle in fear? and retreat back to the person that you used to be, doing the things that you used to do, holding on to your dreams and your desires and the things that made you feel good about yourself? Or do you look at on the other side of the coin and be blown away by the fact that Jesus is saying, you, my son, you are going to live a life worthy of crucifixion. I am going to do so much through you that people are going to despise you to a point where they are going to crucify you. That's the kind of sacrifice, Peter. This is the ultimate sacrifice that you're going to pay on my behalf. And then for each one of us today as believers, right, this is what it means literally to take up our cross. We need to die to ourselves. We need to die to our dreams. We need to die to the things that we place our trust in. We need to die to our idols. And we need to pick up our cross And we need to live a life full out loving God and loving other people even if it means we're going to lose friends. We're going to lose family. We might lose our job. Our neighbors might stop talking to us. Our family might stop talking to us. We're the ultimate side and we may end up being crucified. But that is what Jesus is asking us to do. That's my second point that a committed life of a believer is moved to sacrifice for our Savior. See, if you find, again, you find yourself in this spot, kind of removed from intimacy with Jesus. Right? You kind of look at your past and say, man, I am far, I'm I'm not even off the trail, I am in the ditch. So it starts with coming back and loving him, but it also has to start with making a sacrifice. You have to be willing to sacrifice the stuff that you were caught up in. You have to be willing to sacrifice your commission check or your paycheck because you're gonna stop doing deals in an unethical way. You're gonna give up that relationship that you had because it's crossed the emotional and maybe physical boundaries and it shouldn't have. If you're single, you're going you're to give up that relationship with that other person who's not a believer and trust that God has somebody that's equally yoked for you. See, following him requires sacrifice. And I love what immediately follows this next. Jesus doesn't even give Peter a chance to respond. He said, hey, You're gonna be crucified, follow me. You're gonna be crucified, follow me. Simple, but so profound. Two words, it sums up what we're supposed to do as a committed believer. We are to follow him. We're to follow his teaching. We're to follow his example. We're to do as he did. We're to love him more than everything else in our lives and we're supposed to care for one another and love one another. That is what we're to do as a body each and every one of us that God has accepted into his family. That's who we're called to be. Look what happens in verse 20 and 21. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is that going to betray you, right? This is John he's talking about. So when Peter saw him, John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. This is hyperbole and sarcasm at its best. Now, it says, somebody start to follow him. So, at this point, at some point, they're up and moving, right? To follow somebody, you got to be in movement. So, it's like, Jesus had follow me. Maybe he got up and started walking, and Peter actually started to follow. He makes it about two steps till he notices John. <laughs> he said, Wait, Jesus, what, what, what about him? Wait, you told me I'm going to be crucified. That's how my life's going to end. What's his deal? What, what's going on with John? And Jesus looks at him and says, what is it to you? If I let him live till the time I return, what is that to you? That's none of your business. You worry about you. You worry about your stuff. You follow me. I'll worry about John. I'll worry about his issues. I'll worry about how he dies. Anyone beside me struggle in that area? We get distracted on our spiritual journeys because what God is doing in someone else's life. Lord, how could you bless them? Do you see how they live? Why do you give them the house and the job and answer their prayers? And here I sit faithfully and you don't answer my prayers. We get so concerned what's going on in other people's lives that we're not following. We're veering off the path. And I also think there's something else going on here too. What I love about this interaction Jesus looks at him after this. It just says, "Will you follow me?" Jesus doesn't look at Peter and say, "You know what? I am sick of you. Get out. How many times do I have to tell you what it takes to follow me? This has been three years of me trying to teach you, but he doesn't. He looks at him and says, "Follow me." And this is such an important truth for us to grasp today because we are going to misstep, right? We're flawed. We have this sin nature inside of us that we're going to get distracted by other people. We're going to get distracted by other things. And Jesus is there to remind us, hey, Scott, here I am. Follow me. Love me, take care of my people. And that's the macro message that's kind of going on over these three appearances. We saw two weeks ago, right, in this, when Jesus walked as a stranger on the road to Emmaus, that he came alongside of them Say, I'm with you. I'm walking. I'm here to listen to you and understand you. Mom, I'm going to convict you in your unbelief and your lack of faith. I'm going to draw you back to my word. And it's in my word that you're going to learn about me, that you're going to understand my teaching. And it's in my word that I'm going to reveal myself to you more and more and more. And when you do, we'll we'll live in this intimate relationship with one another. That's true. And, as we saw last week, not only are we going to have this intimate relationship, I've got things for you to do. I've created you for a purpose. I have a call on your life. I've uniquely gifted you for our kingdom to advance. You have to do your part. I'm going to go with you while you do your part. And then lastly, he's saying, I know you're not going to be perfect. You're going to misstep. You're going to sin. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to turn your back on me at times. But know this, I stand here with my arms waiting for you to return to me. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how long you've been away, I'm going to remind you, follow me. Put me first. Love me more than you love everything else. And out of response and appreciation for my love of you, serve my sheep. Serve each other. Care for one another. Love one another. Exhort one another. And I'm going to remind you is when you fail, is to follow me. And that's the beautiful truth that we see in this passage today. And I am thankful that Jesus has never said, Scott, I am done with you. Because he would have been done with me a long time ago. And he feels the exact same way about you. He has tremendous work for you. We are the shepherds. Not me and Ron and the pastoral staff the church we shepherd each other we teach each other the word we serve one another we meet each other's needs right Acts two forty two to 247 this is who we're called to be and the amazing promise is that regardless of how far we have fallen how bad we have misstepped that our Lord and Savior stands there ready to redeem us, ready to restore us to ministry with the specific gifting that he's given us in a specific context in which he's placed us in our homes, in our work, in our schools, in our neighborhood, youth sports teams, the band, anywhere we go. Don't let Satan lie to you. There's nothing that you have done that God cannot redeem. Nothing. And he stands ready today with open arms to invite you back into an intimate relationship, back into fellowship, redeem the things that we do wrong, to use them for our good, and again, to send us out into ministry and into service, using the gifts he has to bring people to Himself. Amen? Dear Father, we thank You that You have chosen us as Your shepherds to care for those that You love. And Father, our desire is to be people that love You more than everything else that's in our lives. Followers that are willing to sacrifice what we believe is important to answer your call on our lives. And Father, we come to you asking you to protect us from the lies of Satan that render us lazy and scared and fearful and useless. But that we instead will let this truth seep into our lives that we know, no matter how far we've wandered away, that we can be redeemed by you and used for your ministry, used for your service. Father, help us be people that believe that at the deepest, deepest levels of our heart. Father, we are Truly sorry what we do against you. And thank you for forgiving us. And thank you for using us. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.